Praise the Lord, everybody. Let's go ahead and jump right in. If you want to turn in your word and uh, into Mark chapter 5, the gospel of Mark chapter 5. I have an odd subject for us to be talking about, probably the weirdest sermon title that the Lord's ever given me. I want to talk around the idea of raising pigs. And hopefully, by the time we're all done, that'll make sense. And if not, well, we did our best. Uh, Mark 5. I'd like to start, though, with a, uh, a celebratory announcement that there are only five days left in this stinking year. Amen. All right. I'm, we're glad to see it go. We almost sang the old psalm, na, 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 hey, 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 goodbye, okay, this morning. But we decided, you know, we'll just, whatever. But this year has been like no other, and I don't have to uh, coax an answer out of you for that. And here we are in the twilight of it. And I know that we're all believing for a greater 2021 than 2020 was, okay? We're, we're praying that many of the problems that we face this year can be dealt with and brought to an end. However, I don't think it's fair to let the year go by without a little bit of reflection on what has gone on. And for me, as I was reflecting over the year and kind of preparing my heart for what to say today. Um, for me, this year has made a, th- a lot of things more clear. Now that seems strange, and also it doesn't because it was 2020, and that's kind of what that kind of symbolizes. It makes things clear, and if you're willing to look, I believe it'll make things clear for you too. And I think that God is faithful to help us redeem time and help us to look back and of course, we all know that hindsight's always twenty twenty, And while we can run the gamut of what all that might entail, here's what it has seemed uh, for me to be more clear than anything, that as much as I thought about and as much as I have preached about the importance of a personal communion-style relationship with Jesus, I really had no idea how important that was going to be to me this year and how much that personal spiritual formation God was going to do in my heart and work over me through the, and impact my life with this year. I had no idea when I went through, when I began this journey at the beginning of 2020, of 2020, how much my life was being formed by other things. I heard it said like this, that you are either being spiritually formed or you're being malformed, but you're going to get formed in one way or the other. You could say that you're formed if you do and you're formed if you don't, but you're going to get formed. And so I have trusted God and I've seen, and really has, I can't say that it's been anything I've done. God has just taken me through his grace on this journey of beginning to form areas of my life to be more like him. And there's been a quite, quite a few things that I've had to wrestle with. I found out that truths that I may have believed may not actually be truth. And the reality behind moments like that with God is that while that may seem hard and there's parts of it that it is it really is a thing of beauty beyond description that God would begin to correct things and help your vision to see things like he does and see things more clearly because I've discovered through that process this year that the things that I've laid down whether they be thoughts or they be influences or they be traditions Jesus has always in those moments exchanged those things For something better. Because that's what he does. Amen. And I'd like to tell you 
that I will continue my life on this process of willing, willingly giving up whatever I need to for Jesus. But the fact is that there will be times that he'll probably have to drag me through the mud. There will probably be times that it will be harder than not. And the reality and the kind of a hard pill to swallow is that the fact that sometimes it's hard to let go of things for God. Even though we know that if we do, he replaces it with something better. And the fact is that that exchange can't take place in our lives if Jesus is not present in our lives. And now, you know, you may say, well, the dust, or we get that. We know that Jesus needs to be present in our life. And that seems like an obvious thing, but I'm talking about having Jesus present in a way that we begin to find areas that he begins to make or reveal and expose areas in our, in our life that are closed off, shut off, maybe even to him. Areas of our life that are closed off to even him. And, that won't, and this won't make sense now, but hopefully it will by the end of the sermon. There are places where we're raising pigs in our lives and we shouldn't be. And Jesus is present to change that. Let's try to explain that a little bit. In Mark chapter 5. We're going to read the first 20 verses, and I'm in the NIV. And it says this, They went across the lake to the region of the Gerasenes, or some of your Bibles may say Gadarenes. It's the same place. And when Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an impure spirit came from the tombs to meet him. And this man lived in the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet, and no one was strong enough to subdue him. And night and day, among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. And when he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. So Jesus didn't even get a chance to get out of the boat, stretch his legs, take a breath, go to the bathroom, nothing. He got out of the boat and it was on like Donkey Kong. Verse 7, he shouted at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, son of the Most High God? In God's name, do not torture me. For Jesus had said to him, Come out of this man, you impure spirit. Then Jesus asked him, What is your name? My name is Legion. He replied, For we are many. And then he begged Jesus again and again not to send him out of the area. And a large herd of pigs was feeding on the nearby hillside. And the demons begged Jesus, Send us among the pigs and allow us to go into them. And he gave them permission, and the impure spirits came out and went into the pigs. The herd, about 2,000 in number, rushed down, into the, uh, rushed down the stink bank into the lake where they were drowned. Those tending the pigs ran off and reported this in the town and the countryside, and the people went out to see what had happened. And when they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there, dressed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. Well, that's odd. And those who had seen it told the people that what had happened was what had happened to the demon-possessed man and told about the pigs as well. And then the people began to plead with Jesus to leave their region. And as Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him, which you would think would be a good idea. If you get possessed by a legion of demons, you might want to tag along with Jesus, you know, get some counseling, maybe straighten things out, see where you may have went wrong in life. But here was Jesus' response. Jesus did not let him. 
Gee, thanks a lot. But he said to him, go home to your own people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you. And how. So the guy goes from full of demons to commission to the ministry in the same day. God can use you, amen. And so the man went away and he began to tell in the Decapolis how, many, how much Jesus had done for him. And the people were amazed, amen. So we see this community. And this guy is here, and Jesus shows up on the scene, and right away he takes care of two problems for him. He takes care of two problems, and he gets back in the boat, and he splits. And obviously these two prevailing issues are identifiable in the Scripture. And the first one is obvious that he delivered this man possessed by demons. A man that's possessed by what's identified as a legion of demons. Okay, Now being that this was a Roman colony... That term legion was not uncommon and often was used to identify a band of Roman soldiers typically numbering somewhere between 5,400 and 6,000 soldiers. Was that man possessed by that many demons? We don't really know. The, The scripture doesn't really tell us. But if the word is used here, it's used to describe the significance of this man's bondage. And while the exact number, like we said, is not for sure, we can safely surmise that this man was deeply troubled. He may have had more demons in him than the, the amount of pigs there were that the demons went and possessed after that. And see, a part of my journey on in this year is I, keep, I find myself asking a lot of questions, and a lot of questions help eventually kind of lead me to an answer. So that's kind of the journey we'll go down this morning. And the facts present of, these, of this verse present some questions about this man's plight, like... What happened that he was under such significant oppression? What caused a legion of demons to find their dwelling in him? And if this man suffered in such a way, why did the community that he was a part of treat him as such an outcast? What's going on in this community that's causing this degree of demonic oppression? When I read this, it seems that the prevailing mentality of these people seems to be, and as they treat this problem, is out of sight, out of mind. Yes, this man is violently oppressed. Yes, this man is constantly endangering himself and others. So the best thing we can do is chain him up at the cemetery. Is that not, I mean, can we slow down enough to assume that that's just not a good idea? That that's kind of a, a big cop-out about dealing with the problem. We chain him up in the cemetery out on the outskirts of town and we look the other way. And that type of behavior leads me to believe that if they thought they could just avoid their problems, if they could just not deal with this right now, maybe the problem would go away or take care of itself. Maybe if we ignore the issue, then we can go on about our business and our life as usual. And that's problematic for us as people of faith is God gives us the ability to see. See problems, see needs, see where things need to be helped and see where Jesus needs to touch. But these people are an example of what not to do. And so that may seem like a stretch though to get that from these few verses. But it makes sense when you see their reaction to how everything played out. Jesus delivers this man, and later it says that the man is seated among them. 
He's clothed and he's in his right mind. And then the story in Mark says that when the community saw this, the man not being naked, the man not hurting himself, the man not foaming at the mouth or whatever he did, the man being in his right mind, the, the, the Mark, book of Mark says that these people saw that and were afraid. Which that leads us to some more pointed questions to help us get to the heart of the matter. Number one is this. Why does this man being delivered and healed make these people afraid? Have you ever wondered? Why are they afraid of him now and not afraid of demon-possessed, shaken, growling, chained up, breaking chains, naked guy running around. Then it says that the people who had witnessed all of this go down began to describe what had happened to this man. And the demons and the pigs and all that and the townspeople didn't just ask Jesus to leave. They begged him to leave. Pleaded with him to leave. Just the same way that the demons had begged Jesus to let them stay. Hmm, which leads us to our second question. Why are the demons begging him to, begging to stay and the people are begging Jesus to leave? Am I the only one that sees red flags going up here? The reason we can assume they wanted Jesus to leave was the fact that what he had done had just caused this herd of pigs to take a dive. Now listen, if I was farming pigs and Jesus showed up and just sent my herd off of a cliff, I'd be pretty upset. And I think you would be too. But we have to remember, we're not looking at this through the eyes of a 21st century pig farmer, okay? This isn't some pig farm in Slaughter's or in Dawson Springs. This is a pig farm right outside the Decapolis in the region of Gad in the first century. You see, to help us understand Scripture, we have to understand that the New Testament is a first century book written to first century people, and that gives us context to be able to apply it to the 21st century. But in the first century, this region in Gad was primarily a Gentile region. However, there were Jews mixed in with it, and it was under the, it was under the rule of Rome as a colony that they took over when they took over that kind of Middle Eastern portion of the world. And their dietary customs in this time is that they do not eat pork. Okay? They don't eat bacon. They don't have Steve's pulled pork. They don't have nothing. God bless their hearts. But their dietary customs were that they were not to eat pork because they viewed it as an unclean animal. And part of that was they, don't have the means, they didn't have the means to prepare a pig like we do now. And because of the impurities in the animal, a lot of people, God helped put that custom in place because eating pork would make them sick. So that's not a custom for this region. However, it is a custom for Rome. It is very common in Rome at this time for them to eat pig, for them to eat pork. And Rome is the, is the, are the ones colonizing and oppressing this region. So the reason that the pig farming was happening in these provinces was because when Roman soldiers came through, they could stay at your house without your approval. They could demand that you carry their gear for a mile and you would have to comply. And if they wanted you to kill, dress, and prepare a pork dinner for them, you had to do it. Even though it was 
it was unclean and against your culture to even touch the pig and even keep the pig. Which leads us to our third question. Why are they raising pigs? And the answer to that is this. They're doing it to keep their oppressors happy. They're doing it to keep the people who have their thumb on them pleased so that they won't keep bothering them and keep pushing them. And they become complacent and they become comfortable in their bondage and their oppression, which seems to be the common thread here. And apparently it's gone to the degree so much that a man is so oppressed, so constantly uh, bombarded with pain and all this, uh, these powers of darkness against him, that he's possessed by a legion of demons. And because they can't do anything for him, they just lock him away in the cemetery out of town. And these people now have learned to be comfortable and complacent with their problems to the degree that when Jesus shows up and in an instant sets this man and this community free, they would rather just go back to their problems. So much so that they ask him to please go away and don't do that again. Please don't come help us. Please leave us alone. So the question with all that in mind for us is this. Are you and I guilty of raising pigs? What are areas in our life that, are, that we can't invite Jesus into? Areas in our life that we are closing off to Jesus? What are we afraid of what are, are we afraid of what deliverance might bring with it if Jesus shows up into some aspect of our life? What happens when Jesus brings freedom to our doorstep, but we haven't made room in our house for it? What happens when Jesus comes in and in a moment takes care of a problem or a set of problems for you, but we weren't ready to let go? Of that problem because we become familiar and we become comfortable with it. I'm asking a lot of questions. Is this all right this morning? What happens when the work and the truth of God disturbs your current habits and viewpoints of life? And what happens when you've been raising pigs to feed the enemy who wants to destroy you and Jesus comes and drives your pigs into the sea? And that's why a deep formative relationship with Jesus is so important because Jesus and the Holy Spirit are the only ones who can expose and deliver you from things that you've never understood or things that you didn't even realize were an issue. Now, I'm going to go on a limb here and assume that not everybody here is probably dealing with oppression uh, to that level. We're not enslaved. We're not full with, filled with demons. But there are issues, okay, I say that because the demons that we face and the troubles we face in America don't look like foaming at the mouth, witch doctors, this, that, and the other. Ours are more civilized in America, and the problems we faced are more, uh, they're easier to hide. So I don't know what degree you're dealing with, but here's what you have to do in the event that we are dealing with something, which I would dare to say we all probably are, if we're on this journey with Jesus and we haven't attained perfection yet, which means all of us. What do we have to do? We have to have that formative relationship with him. We have to go into that place where we can seek God quietly and allow him to, to take his flashlight and search out the areas of our life to see where we 
will see the things that we don't see. Because when I read this story, I can't help but think of what's going on in this community. Of all their busyness and all of the things that they have going on. And I can't help but think of the children. Think about the children being raised knowing about the man chained up over in the cemetery and thinking that that's normal. The children raised to think that the contradiction of us have, you know, not being able to eat pork and viewing that animal as unclean, yet we will get our hands dirty in it and prepare it for our oppressors. And they think that's normal. And I don't want my kids, and I'm sure you don't either, want your kids to be raised with the notion that there are aspects of our life that are viewed as normal when really they're dysfunctional. Because what happens is that dysfunction compounds with them and the next generation and the next, and it becomes more amplified in their lives. And pretty soon, they may, while we may have had one guy chained up in the cemetery, they may have several. And there may be several pig farms happening amongst our community when there's no place for that. And of course, I'm using that as a metaphor. There's really nothing wrong with raising pigs. So if we're not careful, we'll think that this story in Mark 5, and it happens in Matthew and Luke 2, we'll think that this story is just about the demon-possessed man, when really this story serves as a glimpse into our lives to see where we might be raising pigs of our own. And here's how you find out where you have the pig farms in your own soul. You have to do like the psalmist when he said in Psalms 139, he says this, he says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me into the way everlasting. See, Jesus doesn't play go along to get along. Jesus is at your door with a flashlight ready to find the caverns and the places in your heart you didn't know about. So self-examination through communion with the Holy Spirit is foundational to walking with God. I kind of feel like that that's kind of a, like a revolutionary idea that shouldn't be revolutionary. Letting God search our hearts, slowing our life down enough, removing the busyness of our, of our daily, day-to-day life, and removing the busyness out of it enough that God has time to speak to us quietly and clearly. I feel like that that's kind of a foundational thing. Like, that's a given. That's what we're all about. But if you're like me, you're guilty of letting busyness keep the search from taking place. Because God doesn't, like I said, doesn't play go along to get along. He, has, he searches. He looks through us. And he's not about avoidance. Avoidance, avoiding our problems, avoiding the things that God might show us, avoiding the things that God would have us to deal with in our lives, avoiding the pigs that we have is not part of a life with God. It's counterintuitive to it. Because when we allow the Holy Spirit to search us and examine us and expose things inside of us we didn't know were an issue, then we can send those pigs into the sea or Jesus can send those pigs into the, into the sea and we can be formed into a person who looks more and more like Jesus. But when we avoid those things, we only fool ourselves. So we have to examine our lives. We have to have that self-examination, that time of reflection. Socrates 
was quoted as saying, the unexamined life is not worth living. And to bring it to a newer context, the great poet and psalmist Ice Cube said it like this. He said, you better check yourself before you wreck yourself. Self-examination, seeing what God will reveal to you is so important. And when I read this story, it almost feels like that these people would have much preferred Jesus to come in, set up a tent, preach a good message, sing a bunch of songs, and they could all run around the tent and fall out. Because sometimes I think that our notion of revival is that when revival really is our pigs getting driven into the sea and us becoming more and more like Jesus to the world around us and becoming a person that Jesus can have a time with all by himself. And Jesus came and lifted their oppression off of them and exposed how they had been fooling themselves. Their only response was to beg and plead with them, will you please go and leave us alone? And my concern for this message, my concern for myself is that we don't become people like that. People who settle for the sense of being spiritual without actually having lives influenced by the Holy Spirit. And if the praise team wants to come up, we're going to end this with four more questions that I want you, if you want to take notes, this would be good. If you want to take a picture of the screen or whatever. I want to end this year starting with a sense of Holy Spirit style examination to help us go into the next year and into our future. Because the reality is, while we're all hoping and we're pleading and we're holding out that 2021 will be better than 2020, and it, the bar's not very high, it may not be. We're not predictors of the future. We don't know whether there's going to be more problems. Or we don't know if there's going to be more unrest or not. We just don't know. But what we can know is that the Holy Spirit is present and he's a present help in the time of trouble and he can show us things that we need to weed out, pigs we need to cast into the sea so that we can become more like him into this world. Here's the first question. Do I stand ready to obey and change should God direct that? Are there things that I believe that when God shows me that's not okay, Am I okay to change that? Number two, do I want to know if I'm wrong? And if you're like me, the answer is unequivocally no, I don't. But that's not good, and I have to change that. I have to know that I'm wrong. I have to know. It's simple like this. If I'm meaning to go this way towards that wall, but I ever so slightly go off course, Eventually, I'm going to wind up in the wrong place. And if I can't listen to where I'm venturing off right here, then I'm going to end up where I don't need to be. So do I, need to, I need to know if I am wrong. Number three, where am I most resistant to hearing God's direction? Are, you most, are there circumstances in our life that require humility? Or do we go through life acting like we have all the answers and know everything and we want it to be our way or the highway. Are there, there, are there issues in our life with honesty where we can't tell the whole truth and we can't be honest with people because they're afraid of what we might think? Or even worse, we can't be honest with God because we're not ready to acknowledge whatever it is that, we, that He's ready for us to take head on. Are there issues with purity? 
Are we letting things into our life that are disrupting that relationship with the Holy Spirit? Am I living in such a way that does not compl- that doesn't work with me and God being in close fellowship? Which really means, am I putting things in front of this relationship? And the last question is this. When I sit down to study the word or hear a sermon, am I willing to ask God to show me where I am wrong and what I need to know to be corrected? Am I reading it just to read it or am I I letting it read me? Am I reading it through my filter, through my American filter, through my conservative right wing or liberal left wing filter, or am I reading it to be changed and letting it read me? Am I reading it with idols in the way that I don't realize are idols? Or am I reading it because I want God to transform me? that really is the question because if we're raising pigs like these people then we're not okay with transformation and really a lot of times that the thing that gets in our way of that is the fact that we've been so hurt by what's happened we've been so uh, malformed by the things that have happened in our life that we've just finally found a place where we can deal with it and we just want to deal with it like that and don't want anything else to come our way. So we'll just handle what we got to handle now. Yet Jesus in that moment could have complied with that, but instead he went ahead and sent those pigs into the sea saying, this is not the life I created for you. I did not create you to live under the thumb of an oppressor and to be led around like slaves. I created you to be free, to follow me, to let me search your heart and weed out the things that, and the pigs that don't belong there. If you'll stand with me and bow your hearts. And as they begin to sing, if you want to come up for prayer, we will have some of our uh, trustees up here to pray with you. But what I would like to do is as we end this year out, Let's start today a habit of reflection with the Holy Spirit. Let's ask the Holy Spirit to begin to reveal things in our life that are taking the place of Him. Reveal things in our life, maybe that He loves, maybe that He wants to show us to grow into and further and, and go further after, whatever it may be, whether it be a pig or not. Let's take these few moments just to kind of shut down our, our, all the stuff around us, all the noise as we sing and, and let God help us to see that.